Right. He is exalted. Where did Carrie go? Well, there's Brandon. That's just as good. I have a new set here that uh, we haven't done in this format before. I think most of you will know at least some of them. If not, sing along and worship. It's a good set of worship songs. What? I gave it to Brandon. He is exalted, the King is exalted on high. I will praise Him. He is exalted forever, exalted and I will praise His name. morning. So if uh, in our time of worship here you have a testimony, a prayer request, or something otherwise to exalt the king, feel free to share that in between our songs. He became sin, who knew no sin, that we might become his righteousness. He humbled himself and carried the Jesus Christ. 
so often take for granted, right? But in this changing world, there is something, someone who is unchanging. Lord, I need you. And this be our testimony today. It's something that uh, the Lord impressed on me some years ago to to make that, <clears throat> excuse me, to make that my prayer every morning and throughout the day, just coming to God and say, Lord, I need you. I need you. And when you come to him in a heart of laying yourself out before him and acknowledging your need of him, he will come and fulfill that need. Lord, I come, I confess, bowing here, I find my rest, and without you, I fall apart, you're the one that guides my heart, Lord, I need you, oh, 
Jesus. Amen. It's about worn out, but I think we can do this one yet. Cornerstone. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest. 
Children, come on up here. I think uh, Ali has a lesson for you. It's going to be about cowboy boots. <laughs> Hi, y'all. That sounds sound good, huh? Well, if you're wondering why am I wearing my boots like this, it's because this guy got a great idea today that we should wear the same shirt. But there is a difference. What is the difference? that I'm wearing something under, and he's like, no, it's supposed to be without anything, but I, I have to do it. But the boots, it's, it's a must, so I hope you don't mind it. <laughs> so, okay, sit over there. I have a story. I don't know if you heard this story before, but this guy was swallowed by a fish. Judah, oh my goodness, that's another story. 
Jonah, yes. So now, there is something about this story. Do you remember what happened at the beginning? Guys, allow me to be here like this, please. God, okay. God, <laughs> thank you. God told Jonah, I want you to go to which city? Nineveh. Nineveh. And what did Jonah do? He didn't go over there. He go to another he went to another city. So God told him, go over there, and he went on another direction. That's true. Then he took a boat, a ship, you call it a ship. And he what's the word for sailing? Oh, man, I'm good at English. So he went sailing to another town. Alright? So he disobeyed God. That is true. So when he was going to the other direction, then a storm, like super heavy storm, like really bad, st started exactly. And everybody was scared. And I mean, you know the story. Uh, the guys were wondering, what's going on here? So they're starting to ask their own gods about what's happening here. And they found out it was because Jonah disobeyed the Lord. And do you remember what they did with Jonah? That is crazy. Can you imagine? They just whoo, get out of here to the water. There is a storm. And they still did it. Okay. Yeah, the waves everywhere and, and, and the thunder and it was super bad. And then a huge, massive fish came and whoop, swallowed him. Now, there is something important about this story, guys. How do you think it was for Jonah to be inside the fish? Do you think it was fun? That's great. That's a good point. We're going to get over there. So, can you imagine? Can you try to describe how it was inside the fish? Do you think there was light inside? Do you think there were some windows over there you could open and see outside? It was dark. It was so dark. I mean, I'm sure, even though I. Oh, wow. Okay, so Jonah is inside the fish, all right, and it's so dark. He couldn't see anything. And I wonder if it was smelly. What do you think? Oh, my God. I think it was super stinky inside of there, right? Plus, maybe that fish, because it was big, he ate more fish. And there was more fish over there, and they stink really bad, right? So do you think he was happy inside the fish? So what he, did he do? He, and do you remember what he said? I'm going to read to you what, is, what he said. This is Jonah's prayer, okay? It says, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol, Sheol, you say Sheol? Sheol, I cried, and you heard my voice. Guys, I want you to listen to this part. This is so important. He disobeyed. He did something wrong. He knew about it. 
and he tried to run away from God. Right? And now you, can, you know that you cannot run away from the Lord. He knows where you go all the time. Now, this is the important part. Even if, guys, if you disobey, if you make a mistake, or if you do something wrong that is against God's will, okay? Even if it gets dark and stinky and it's awful, you can always come back to the Lord and pray to Him and ask Him, God, save me from this place. Please forgive me. And He will do it. Okay, I think this guy wants to talk a lot. That that is true. So at the end, the fish just send them out, right? That is true. So, but remember this part, guys. Even when you feel awfully bad if you did something wrong, God is always faithful and He's there for you. And he wants to forgive your sins. And he wants to take you out of that fish. Okay? Let's not forget that part. Because sometimes we feel and we think that God cannot forgive us because what we did is really bad. But he actually can forgive us. And he wants to forgive us and to save us. Okay? All good? Okay, you can go to your seat. So I was wrong. It wasn't about cowboy boots after all. <laughs> it was a good lesson, though, Ali. Thank you. Well, welcome to each one. Glad to have you all here this morning. And uh, we got some nice, cooler fall weather with maybe a little bit of precipitation. We'll take that. So uh, thank the Lord for the beautiful day that he's given to us. And so uh, welcome to each one, those of you online Welcome to uh, join us in that way as well. Glad you're here. Hopefully you've had a uh, good time of worship here this morning. Now, I did not uh, manage to get one of our uh, pamphlets that were handed out. I don't know if there's any. Uh, Steve's feeling guilty about not doing his job. (laughs) Thank you, Steve. Are there any announcements in here that I need to announce? Oh, yeah, everyone's invited for lunch. That's pretty much a normal, but please stay for lunch. It's going to be good. At least the stuff my wife brought is going to be good. I'll guess that everything else is as well. Uh, Let's see here. Yes, please stay for that. Um, Oh, looks like there's a tea party planned. Details to come. I'm assuming those are going to come from Katie. Sorry, guys, this is not for you. This is just for ladies and daughters. So, uh, <clears throat> Also, uh, we don't pass an offering basket here, but if the Lord has blessed you, and more importantly, if he's asked you to give, feel free to do that in that box by the back door. I think that will conclude any announcements we might have. Phil's going to share the word for us, but before he does that, let's pray. Father, I thank you for this time that you have given us here this morning and for your many blessings to us. I pray, Father, that you would meet with us here this morning. I thank you that you are here with us. And I thank you for the time of worship and praise that we've been able to have here. I pray, Father, that it was honoring and glorifying to you and to your name. 
I pray that you would now speak to us through your word. I pray for Brother Phil as he shares that, Father, that you would anoint his lips, give him clarity of thought and mind to share the words that you have for us to hear. We commit this time to you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning, everyone. A couple of things. Um, One is, I have been so blessed by reading this book. It's called The Heart of a Warrior. But the subtitle is, "Before Before You Can Become the Warrior, You Must Become the Beloved Son. And the Lord has really been just dealing with so many things in my life as a man. And... I felt the Lord saying, you need to share this with others. And this goes along with the word I'm going to share with you to encourage each one, each one of us this morning. In this journey of life, one of the commands Jesus gave us is to talk. Did you know that? It is. To proclaim Him. And so... The Lord has just said, you need to share this truth with others. And so I'm wondering if, how many of you guys would be interested? I'd like to once a month on a Wednesday night get together, perhaps the first Wednesday night of every month, but it can be flexible based on our schedules. And uh, just come together down at our house for an evening. We'll go through like maybe a portion of a chapter because they're divided out into more like subject matters. But it, it, it's a really good book to do a study together with. And I'll order as many books as I need of you guys who want to join it. So let me know um, sometime today, and I'll go ahead and get the books ordered, and then we'll start in the month of November probably, or if I can get them soon enough, perhaps even in October. Before I go into the message today, how many of you heard of Brother Andrew? What do you know about Brother Andrew? Yes, Brother Andrew the Smuggler, they called him. Why did they call him the smuggler? He smuggled Bibles. For many, many years of his life, he smuggled Bibles into countries that the Bible was illegal in. And that became his life passion. Why do you think he did that? Someone tell me. Yes, because of his love for Jesus and... Why else do you think? God told him to. His love for the people. His passion became sharing God's word with others. And so he passed away. He went to be with the Lord this week at 90-some years old. I think he was 91. They'll say here. But Open Doors Ministry went and put on a little video clip of his life. And I thought I would share it with you this morning to encourage and inspire us. Go ahead. I have come to see clearly that life is more than self. It is more than doing what I want, striving for what will benefit me, dreaming of all I can be. Life is all about my relationship with God. There is no higher calling, no loftier dream. 
and no greater goal than to live, breathe, and be poured out for Jesus Christ. I am a fool for Christ, whose fool are you? We have to live a life that is more revolutionary than the revolutionaries. The bigger the darkness, the easier it is to spot your light. You can get anywhere if you go to serve. That's the excitement in obedience, finding out later what God had in mind. That was, for some reason, most precious to me. That's the excitement in obedience, finding out later what God had in mind. And I think the reason that one's really like kind of stuck like an arrow of truth in my heart is because Satan, one of the most persuasive arguments he brings to us to cause us to disobey or to have delayed obedience in our life is to say that, oh, it doesn't really matter. Did God really mean it? Like he did with Eve in the garden. God knows there's more things. And so Satan uses these persuasive arguments. And then the next thing he does, he says, like, it's too big for you. You'll never make it. You can't do that. Look. Look who you are. Who do you think you are? But when we listen to any of Satan or our own arguments against obedience to God, which always requires faith, we miss the excitement in obedience. Satan loves to make obedience look drab and boring and impossible. But what God has hidden in the act, and only in the act, is the excitement and the power of his spirit. That's the excitement in obedience, finding out later what God had in mind. Don't curse the darkness, but light a candle. Persecution is an enemy the church has met and mastered many times. Do you like persecution? I do. I relish it. And I'm not kidding you. I have come to love it. It's the wrath of the devil we can endure and master and overcome. It is a blessing. Jesus said so. Blessed are you when all men persecute you, speak evil against you, malign your name as evil for my name's sake, and hate you and ostracize you. You are blessed. Woe to you when all men speak well of you. That's a curse. Persecution is an enemy the church has met and mastered many times. I told our ministry team, I think it was one of the last times we met, I said, I hope and pray that the blessing of persecution against us and the devil's wrath against us never leaves us. Never. Woe to us if it does. When all men speak well of us. 
woe to us. That's what Jesus said. Don't complain to yourselves that you can't go to the mission field. Thank God for bringing the mission to you. Why are we worried? Rolf said suddenly, this is God's work. He'll make a way for us. Whenever, wherever, however you want me, I will go. And I'll begin this very minute, Lord, as I stand up from this place, as I take my first step forward, will you consider this a step toward complete obedience to you? I'll call it the step of yes. Our prayers can go where we cannot. There are no borders, no prison walls, no doors that are closed to us when we pray. I think you're like one of your own lumps of clay, Andy. God has a plan for you, and he's trying to get you into the center of it, and you keep dodging and slithering away. In the years of living this life of faith, I have never known God's care to fail. It was Sunday morning. I woke very early to a bright and cheery day, anxious to join my fellow Christians in this lovely garden of a land. The clerk in the hotel eyed me a little dubiously when I asked for a church. We don't have many of those, you know, he said. Besides, you couldn't understand the language. Didn't you know? I said. Christians speak a kind of universal language. Oh, what's that? Agape. I never heard of it. Too bad. It's the most beautiful language in the world. Lord, if you show me the way, I will follow you. And there are many more. You can Google them. Quotes that he penned down and words that he shared as he traveled through life in obedience to his God. I want to encourage each one of us with something. This is Brother Andrew's story, but God is writing your story. Today, his story is done. What has been written is written, and it's finished. And he's moved on to his eternal reward of God's story of his glory in his life. But you and I are still a living story being written down. And the most glorious part of this opportunity is that you and I can say yes to God's purpose in our lives where he receives glory. We have that ability We're not dogs, we're not cats, we're not a donkey, we're not a cow, and I'm not a pig. I can say yes to God's will for my life. That's one of the most glorious opportunities that God has given to human people. We can say yes, but it also holds the opportunity of the greatest tragedy ever written down. 
we can also say no. Or not now. And not now is no. It may not be a permanent no, but it's a no for today. And we can read of the tragedy of both stories. The tragedy and the exaltation, the glory of God's story throughout the scriptures. And today, God has given you and I this opportunity, this glorious opportunity to just simply leave this place and say yes in faith to whatever God is calling you to do. It is so interesting. I didn't know that he passed away till yesterday. And all week long, God has been doing this work on my heart. And it's culminated, very interestingly, and I officiated a funeral here yesterday for an older lady. And as I watched the slides of her life that they showed, and then later found out Brother Andrew passed away. And earlier this week, Carrie had posted that he was going to have a Bible study with you youth on the Great Commission, our commission. And all week long, God has been putting this, this call on my heart that there's one thing, one thing, Phil, I called you to do in this life. And that's to proclaim Jesus everywhere you go. It's the one thing I've saved you for. There are many others, things that come underneath that life of obedience, that work in me, through me, for him. But the one thing he has commanded is that we proclaim him. And I was reading through Luke. Turn your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. We find the story of the resurrection. In verse 1. But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they came to the tomb bringing the spices which they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. I want you to really think, put yourself into this, this story of these ladies. They were coming to a funeral. But what did they experience? Someone tell me. Was it a funeral? Why not? It was not a funeral they experienced. Why not? The body wasn't there. Why wasn't the body there? The resurrection happened. He rose from the dead. Have you ever went to a funeral and experienced a resurrection? If you haven't, I pity you. Because that is the beginning of Christ in me, the hope of glory, and in all of us. If you haven't attended your own funeral and experienced the resurrection instead, you're not truly born again. Now, you may not have thought of it that way, but that's the way it is. Paul said it that way in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I am crucified with Christ. The crucifixion was sure to kill him, and it did. It will kill you too. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, 
I'm dead. Is that what he said? I live, yet not I. But Christ lives in me, and the life I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That is the story of his glory in Paul's life. Is it your story? If you're born of the Spirit, it is your story. And it becomes a daily living out of that story. If any man wants to follow me, let him rejoice in me. Get up in the morning and praise my name. Deny yourself. Take up your cross and die. Daily. Deny yourself. Take up your cross. Oh, oops. You're not dead. And follow me. You're not dead after all. But something in you died. You're dead to sin. You become dead to sin and alive to God, Romans tells us. Dead to sin and alive to God. Well, they came for a funeral and they experienced life eternal. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And it happened that while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men suddenly stood near them in dazzling apparel. And the women were terrified. Now that word really means terrified. Look it up in the Greek, and it's exactly what it means. You are filled with terror. Have you ever been filled with terror? That's what the resurrection will do to you. And if you haven't experienced this, you've never really experienced the fear of God. Maybe that's why we sin so easily. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It calls you to act wisely. Paul said, knowing therefore the terror, same word, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Because we know the terror of God's righteous judgment on sin. Once you and I experience that terror of God's righteous judgment on my sin. And then we experience his life, his mercy, his forgiveness, his glorious salvation of resurrection that deliverance from your sin will give you a hatred for your sin you may still fall and slip at times as you're walking through this life but you certainly won't stay with your face in the mud not even a moment you Get up off of there and you'll get up and you'll wash yourself clean and you'll walk again. Keep walking. Because you've experienced the terror of the resurrection. And bowed their faces to the ground. The men said to them, Why do you seek the living one among the dead? He is not here. But he has risen. Remember how he spoke to you while he was still in Galilee, 
saying that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words. In the terror of your death and my crucifixion of my death, when I remember his words and I find out he is not there his body has risen and now he comes to meet us in our place of death to sin just like he met them when you remember his words his words become your living bread your eternal life like Jesus said my words are spirit and they are life. And returned from the tomb and reported all these things to the eleven and all to all the rest. Now they were Mary Magdalene and Joanna. Joanna, by the way, was the wife of Cusa, Herod's steward. And you can read earlier, I think it's in Luke chapter 8, that she was one of the earliest women to support Jesus' ministry financially. And give them food and feed the disciples. I mean, these were 12 guys that walked throughout from village to village every day. And they were hungry. They walked as one day's journey was a common walk for them. And a day's journey, there was about 12 hours in a day. And a day's journey, we had figured out, was about 15 miles or so. You want to walk 15 miles every day? You up for that challenge? Just to share the gospel with someone else, some other town, some other village. We hop on an airplane and sit on our rear for six hours and we think that's rough. Are you serious? It was wonderful. Mary, Joanna. I love, by the way, I love God's conspiracy. It's not just a theory. He conspires against the devil and makes a fool out of him every time. He did it in Jesus. Tells us, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But they didn't know. God hides his life in the human flesh of death. That's where the, the power of the resurrection is. Anyway, I love how he took Herod's steward's wife and supported Jesus. The Lord loves to take money from the devil and give it to his cause. You ever notice how he does that? He does. And these were, okay. And Mary, the mother of James, also the other women with them, were telling these things to the apostles. And these words appeared to them as nonsense, and they would not believe them. Wait, these were the 12 apostles. The 11. Judas had killed himself. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in, and he saw the linen wrappings only, and he went away to his home, marveling at that which had happened. Now here's the story that I want to share with you. And behold, two of them were going that very day to a village named Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were conversing with each other about all these things which had taken place. And it came about that while they were conversing and discussing, Jesus himself approached and began traveling with them. But their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. And he said to them, What are these words that you are exchanging with one another as you are walking? And they stood still, looking sad. 
Are you serious? You didn't hear? And one of them, named Cleopas, answered and said to him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem and unaware of the things? And unaware of the things which have happened here in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, The things about Jesus the Nazarene, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word, in the sight of God and all the people. And how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him up to the sentence of death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, it is the third day since these things happened. But also, some women among us amazed us when they were at the tomb early this morning and did not find his body. They came saying that they had also seen, oh, get this, a vision of angels. <sighs> they didn't even believe it was a real angel. They just somehow seen a vision of angels. You see, they were still saying it was nonsense, what the women told them. <laughs> saying they had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. And some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just exactly as the women also had said. But him they did not see. Now I want you to understand. Do you get what's happening here? These two guys are walking. And Jesus joins them. Probably as they were walking along. There was a cross. A place where two paths came together. And Jesus just comes out of this path. And there's a complete stranger. And they're telling him the story of his death. But there was something missing. What was missing? In their story, can someone tell me? The resurrection. It was nonsense. He was still dead to them. Well, they didn't find the body, but remember what the Sadducees and Pharisees had told the guards after they fled for their lives and said, oh, an angel came and rolled away the great stone and we were like dead men. And what did they say? Go tell the people why. His disciples stole away his body. Maybe they believe that. I don't know. But they were telling Jesus his story. And this really spoke to me. How many times do you and I tell Jesus what's going on in my life? You know what you're doing? You're doing exactly what they did. You're telling them, you're telling him his story of your life. And it's exactly the way they say it. That's how we see it and that's how we tell it. Unless, unless we've experienced the power of his resurrection. Romans 8 tells us that those who have experienced the power of his resurrection in their mortal bodies are raised up with Christ. In God. I want to read this verse to you. It's better than me quoting it. It has the power of the Spirit in it. And if Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, 
He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life. To who? To your mortal bodies through his spirit who indwells in you. Without that, we're just like these guys. And I found in my Christian life, before I surrendered my heart in this way to Christ and in faith received that resurrection power of his spirit in my body, the story, my story, my testimony of Jesus was as dead as theirs. And the crazy thing is, Jesus was walking with me all the time and I would tell him all the time of the story of his death in me. I tried this and it died. I tried this dream and it died. I had this relationship and it died. I, it, everything died in my life. Everything ends in death. All my dreams ended in death. All my words, it's all just dead. Is that how your story is? Is that how you come to God in your prayer life? As if everything is dead towards God. Without the power of the resurrection, that's exactly how you talk, just like them. And this is how Jesus answers us. The most amazing thing about Jesus' love is that he's okay with that. He'll listen to us. He'll hear us out. I wonder for how long they spoke. I'm sure not all their words were recorded here. I would guess so. They were walking a seven hour, seven miles to this other village. Must have been walking quite some time and just sharing with Jesus all of the things and the troubles of their heart. And Jesus just hears them out. In fact, he kind of provokes them and says, what things? Tell me more. And after they're all done, he says, and he said to them, O foolish men, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? And I want you to notice something. And beginning with Moses and with all the prophets. Where does Moses begin? Someone tell me. What's the first book of Moses? Nope. Genesis. The first book of Moses, the five books of Moses that Moses wrote, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the five books of Moses that he wrote when he met with God up on the mount those 80 days, 40 days one time and 40 days another time. And God shared with him the power of his resurrection, of his life, of life, of death, and of eternal life. And Moses wrote about it in the law. That's where Jesus began. Moses, do you begin there? Have you seen the story of Jesus and his resurrected life in the books of Moses? Do you know how many Christians I've met who've said, those books are dead to me? They don't even read them once a year. They don't even know when they've last read them. What? They've actually said this to me. Christians, well-meaning believers, they don't believe the life of Jesus is in the book of Moses or in any of those books. 
He looked at me and said, what? Are you still back there? That's the law. We're free from the law. We believe in Jesus. But they don't see or experience Jesus in Moses' writings. Oops. That's where Jesus began. And then Jesus goes from Moses to the prophets. Have you read the prophets and seen and experienced Jesus? If you haven't, you're missing a third of the gospel. It's true. Jesus explained the gospel in three places. First, here, let me say it this way. The gospel is explained and declared to us in three places. But it's also, even in, maybe, perhaps you could say four, because later on you're going to see that Jesus also used the Psalms. Moses, the prophets, Psalms kind of is a part of the prophets, and the New Testament, declaring Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And as he approached the village, verse 28, where they were going, and he acted as though he would go further. And they urged him, saying, Stay with us, for it is getting toward evening, and the day is now nearly over. And he went in to stay with them. And it came about that when he had reclined at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it, and breaking it, he began giving it to them. And their eyes were opened. Can you imagine that experience? I can. Because Jesus has done it to me. And he continues to do it to me all the time. I think I'm talking to myself or I'm kind of walking through this, this dark time in my life of bewilderment and confusion and I'm not sure I get it. And sometimes I'm even like Daniel where you have a vision and it makes you sick to the stomach and he can't eat right for three days, I mean for three weeks and, and, and God never explained the vision to him. Just left him like that. And then all of a sudden, the Lord Jesus gives you a revelation. Your eyes are opened. And you see him. You recognize him in the law of Moses, the books of Moses. You recognize him in the prophets. You recognize Jesus in the Psalms. And you see him like you've never seen him before. And then he vanishes from their sight. It's just a glimpse. But it's a glimpse which does this. It's the next step is a step of yes, of faith, of obedience. Look what they did. And he vanished from their sight. You see, Jesus wants faith. He doesn't, that, that moment of revelation doesn't just continue happening, 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 happening. No, it happens and then Jesus wants us to get up and say yes. Obedience to that vision, that recognition, that opening of our eyes, the eyes of our heart, the eyes of our understanding. Just like Apostle Paul. Did that experience with Jesus happen to him again? Much, many years later, yes. He had numerous revelations. But the initial one led Apostle Paul to say yes. And it revolutionized his life. And he went forward proclaiming Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. And they said to one another, Were not our hearts burning within us 
while he was speaking to us on the road, while he was explaining the scripture to us. And look what happened. It was near nighttime. They had persuaded Jesus to stay because the end of the day was there. And what did they do? They turn around and they walk back seven miles. They didn't have flashlights or headlights or a car. They walked seven miles back to Jerusalem in the dark. Maybe they had some kind of torches or lanterns, something. And they arose that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found together the eleven and those that were with him, saying, the Lord has really risen. Do you see what they proclaimed? The Lord has really risen. What changed from just a few hours ago? What changed? Christ had met them, explained the scriptures to them, and opened their eyes to understand God's purpose in Jesus' life. And has appeared to Simon, and they began to relate their experiences on the road and how he was recognized by them in the breaking of the bread. And while they were telling these things, he himself stood in their midst. But they were startled and frightened and thought they were seeing a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Come, touch me. And see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still could not believe it for joy and were marveling, Jesus gets really practical. Hey, by the way, I'm hungry. Is there anything to eat here? Don't you love when Jesus does that? He just gets real practical. He's like, now, would you, have, would you have thought Jesus would do this? He's in his raised, glorified body. What do you mean you're hungry? What? Are you kidding me? Yeah. But Jesus wasn't doing it just because he was hungry. Jesus was doing this intentionally to show them he was a real person. And he wanted to see if they'll feed him. And this is exactly what Jesus does in the midst of our bewildered faith. When our faith is bewildered and startled and we're astonished, Jesus says, come feed me. Have you ever experienced that? All of a sudden, the Lord just opens up real practical door right in front of you and says, come feed me. You have anything to eat? I'm hungry. And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and he ate it before them. Now he said to them, these are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all Things which are written about me, now note these three things, in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Oh, that's a glorious experience. If Jesus hasn't done this for you, my dear brother, sister, you need him to do it. You have no idea what you're missing. It's just a textbook to you. It's not a living, life-giving word. No wonder you're so quiet and embarrassed 
and don't know what to say to dead people around you. You have no resurrected message to give to them. But when this happens to us, the resurrection and the life becomes a part of me. Christ is now in me. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ in me. And his story, his message, and the power of his resurrection is in my mortal body. And I'm going to share it. And he said to them, Thus it is written that Christ should suffer and rise again from the dead the third day, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name. Where? To all the nations beginning at Jerusalem. Carrie and I were talking about this this morning, about the Great Commission. And so often we kind of, it's easy for us to think, Oh Lord, send me, where shall I go? Africa, Indonesia, South America. You know, we, we think of some other country. But Jesus said, begin with your neighbor across the street from you in Jerusalem, right where you live. Begin right there. If you can't do it there, guess what? You won't do it for very long over there either. There's a very interesting phenomena that I've noticed in the last mm, maybe 10 years of my ministry. I've traveled broadly throughout the world. And I've noticed that wherever I go, People are just people. They're the same. They have neighbors. They have a life to live. And I remember, I remember the first time I, I landed in, in London uh, at Heathrow. And I, and I walked out of the airport there to meet a brother. And I think it was a couple of brothers who were going to pick me up and take me to their, their, their church gathering that night to share the word. And, and I remember this was the first time I was in the UK. And I was looking out the windows and thinking, Wow, I can't believe I'm in London. Like, and, I, and I come out of the airport and, and there's this little uh, taxi cab driver that comes up and, and uh, they had, they had uh, hired a, a taxi cab driver and, and, and it had this funny looking vehicle, you know, like they have, I think they're funny looking. They think ours are funny looking. And, and I, was, I remember sitting back there and taking a ride down there and the, the driver's on the wrong side and he's driving on the wrong side of the road and I was just like in awe, like, I'm really here? This is amazing. I remember getting to the church and meeting the people, and all of a sudden, I was just like, we're all the same. Wherever you go throughout the world. You see, that's a trick from the devil. To keep God's people quiet. To put this dream in our heads. I'll be a good missionary there. No, you won't. Not if you're not here. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I'm sending forth the promise of my Father upon you, but you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. The reason I brought out the board is I was meditating these things. This is how the Lord brought it to me. The gospel. The gospel is a life-giving teaching. Isn't that exactly how Jesus taught it? It changed 
their life. The gospel life giving teaching. It is meant to be proclaimed. That's how it's life giving. Jesus said, My words are spirit and they're life. And when you and I proclaim the gospel, we give, we share the life of Jesus with others. It is a life giving teaching. You'll notice that in Romans 10, he says so. Verse 8, but what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth, and in your heart. Now it's interesting that it's in those two places. It's not in your ears. It's not in your mind. Where is it? In your mouth and in your heart. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The gospel is to be proclaimed. It's in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we are preaching. That if you confess with your mouth, if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. It is a life-giving teaching. And you'll notice this in Jesus, and, and this can be broken down, into all kinds of examples. But this is how Jesus taught it. This is how the apostles taught it. This is how Brother Andrew taught it. This is how it is meant to be taught. And this is what it is. You and I can't change that. And when you and I surrender our tongue and our heart to the gospel, to this proclamation, that's exactly what it does. Isaiah 55 says, my word will not return to me empty or void. It will accomplish that for which it is sent forth to do. And if, in, in Hebrews chapter 4, it says, the word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, and divides between soul and spirit into the depths of the joints and the mire, the depths of our heart. It divides between the soul and the spirit. That means it divides between your intellect, your own will, your own emotions, and the Spirit of Jesus Christ, which is leading you to obedience. It makes a division in your life. And you know exactly that your will is not His will. And what you're feeling is not what He's feeling. And what you're thinking is not what He's thinking. You'll know the difference. And you'll know exactly what He's requiring of you. That's what the Word of God does. It is a life-giving teaching. But it is more than that. There is living proof. There's living proof to your teaching when you proclaim the gospel. And here's sometimes, we all agree with this, or at least partly, right? Enough to say a little. Maybe our faith... Some it's very weak. We acknowledge it, but we're still pretty quiet. 
We don't know what to say. And we're embarrassed. Okay. But there's still a little faith there. But what about the living proof? Where's your faith in that? Jesus said in Mark chapter 16. By the way, before I go there, I just want to wrap it up with this. Um, on the life-giving teaching in Matthew 28, Jesus said this to them. And Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. It is a teaching. It is designed to be a teaching. It is a doctrine. It is a message to be proclaimed. Everything that he commanded us. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Now, in Mark chapter 16, we see the power in the life. The proof of this message is lived out. In our lives. And he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creation. And he who has and he who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved. You see, there's active power there. Changes radically people's lives. They're gonna be saved from their sins from the fear of death, from the power of sin in their life. But he who has disbelieved shall be condemned. You see the activeness of the gospel message? Condemnation or life? And this is the condemnation that has come to the world. Men love their darkness. They love darkness rather than light, and they will not come to the light lest their deeds be reproved. Condemnation is a just thing from God. It is what the Word of God will do to every one of our lives. It will condemn us. It will condemn sin in us. And then we have a choice. Will I love the darkness and the sin and be condemned? Or will I come in repentance and be delivered from that power of sin and the love of that sin and receive mercy and grace in my time of need and be delivered from it, forgiven and delivered from its power and its effect. Be given life. He who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved, but he who has disbelieved shall be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who have believed. In my name they will cast out demons. The first sign of this faith, of this great salvation coming into my mortal body, is that demonic powers are dealt with in my life. Demons are battled and overcome. Whether it's demons from psychological demons of, of oppression or of abuse, or however those demons have come into your life and into your thought life and into your will and into your emotions... And into your body, those demons are rebuked and defeated through the power of the gospel. That's living proof. Paul said to the Corinthians, 
In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. The resurrection power in my mortal body. That's why in the book of Acts, when the gospel came to Ephesus, and there was a great demonic power, the great goddess Diana, whom most of the city worshipped, and there was a lot of idolatry there, and, and there was the manufacturer, the factory, where they made these idols. And, and when the gospel came there, what happened? There was a great bonfire. People cleaned their houses, their libraries, their books, their seat. Well, I, I guess they didn't have DVDs and CDs, but they dealt with all of the demonic stuff that they had, and there was enough to create a huge bonfire. They burned it, and demons were cast out of people's lives. Demonic strongholds were thrown out of people's lives. It is so ironic to me, dear church of God, dear believer, that in the church today, we can't deal with demonic influences anymore. In fact, it seems almost spiritual to say, oh, I've been so abused, and I, I have so many demonic things that happened to me, and, 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 and there's this almost like this pity party, and, and people pray over you, and, and you have to get it all out on the table. And A pity party for the devil? That seems to be in a lot of lives, Christians' lives. That's not what Jesus did. That's not what he said was going to happen. And that's not what happened when he cast out demons in people's lives. And that's not what happened when the gospel went forth into Ephesus. No! There was victory over the devil. And shouts of victory in people's lives. And demonic influences were cleansed. Put away. Burned. These signs will Accompany those who have believed. In my name they will cast out demons. If the gospel you proclaim does not cast the devil out from your life and all of his influences, you don't have the gospel of Jesus Christ. You have some other gospel. It's a weak gospel perhaps. But it's not the message of Jesus Christ. The first time Jesus got up to begin his ministry in the church, the synagogue, and read Isaiah, you can read this in Luke chapter 4, and read Isaiah 61, the Lord God has anointed me to proclaim the gospel. You know what happened as soon as he was done with that? A demon started yelling out, Jesus, what are you doing here? Have you come to torment us? I know who you are. Wow. The demon says, Jesus, have you come into the church to torment me? And Jesus answers him and says, leave him, go outside. And the devil goes outside the church for the first time in hundreds of years. The Jews in their synagogues had never experienced anything like this. That's the power of the gospel. They will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will speak with new tongues. The tongue that is a world of iniquity that sets on fire the course of nature with the fires of hell. James. That tongue that no man can tame or bridle or control. A new tongue that speaks life. That when is cursed, blesses. That when is reviled, does not revile again. 
but instead blesses. It prays for its enemies. It speaks life. Speaks life. Speaks the gospel. The hope of eternal life. Shares the word of God where it was silent. Just look what it did to Apostle Peter. Peter, a disciple of Jesus, witnessing all of his miracles, proclaiming bold, audacious faith. Lord, I will go and die with you. I will never deny you. When a little servant girl comes to him at Jesus' trial, he says, I never knew that guy. And then another servant comes to him and says, wait, you speak like a Galilean. I think you were. Did I not see you in the garden? No, you've never seen me there. I don't know him. And then someone else also stand by starts saying, come on. You are one of him. And he starts cursing and swearing and saying, I never knew the man. That tongue changes completely when the Holy Spirit comes into his life. He experiences the power of the resurrection and he stands up and he says, you're the man who crucified him. The Lord of glory. You need to repent and be baptized for the remission of your sins. And from that day on, Peter's tongue spoke life. It proclaimed the gospel. And they will pick up serpents. They will pick up serpents. Deadly things. Now there are some Christians that take this very literally. They say, I'm going to go play with snakes. I remember a story not long ago where a pastor said, look, I have a poisonous snake. And he wrapped the poisonous snake around him. And in front of the church, he'd play with snakes. And later he was bitten and died. True story. You can Google it. Is that what Jesus was proclaiming? If that's so, most of the apostles missed it. This sign didn't follow them. It did Apostle Paul. He's the only one we can read of that a poisonous snake jumped in, out of the fire and bit him and he shook it off and he didn't die. None of the other apostles ever dealt with snakes that we can read about. Did they miss this one? No, they didn't. Who is that wicked one, the serpent that Revelation talks about? The serpent. And he has many other serpents. It's the devil. Christians who will take action against the devil and will not be harmed. There'll be no fear. You know what? This one's tricky. Because there are times, and it happens to me still regularly, that when I preach the word of God on a Sunday, or I pray with a soul on a Tuesday night, and someone gets saved, and the power of the gospel is proclaimed, you know what? Katie once told me, I sit here and I kind of brace myself. I know what this week, I know what's coming at me this week. What you shared, the devil's going to come fiercely against you and he's going to turn around and bite you. What you share, when you make a difference in some soul's life, when you go proclaiming the gospel, you're going to deal with snakes. Spiritual serpents, you're in a world of snakes. And they will bite you. But, do not fear. They won't harm you. They won't harm you. And you know what happens? The same thing that happened to Apostle Paul happens to us spiritually many, many times. It does to me. Jumps out of something, jumps out of the fire, and it surprises you, and it comes out of nowhere, and you shake it off. And everybody says, must be a criminal. Back away from that guy. 
They immediately identify criminal activity. They identify you with the devil, with that snake that bit you. He will surely die. He's got to be, a, maybe he escaped from prison. He surely has evil in his life or that would not have happened to him. And it takes time till they see it doesn't harm you. And then they say, he's a God. He's a God. This happens with people around us when these things happen in our life. Paul didn't let any of it change who he was in Jesus Christ. Nor did he let it change his message. Whether they said he was a criminal or a God, Paul proclaimed to them Jesus Christ. And so you and I can too. This power will follow those who have believed. They will pick up serpents, and if they drink any deadly poison, it shall not hurt them. And again, I say this is a spiritual truth. If someone gives you poison, the poison of asp, David says in Psalms, and Romans 3 quotes this, the poison of a snake is in their tongue. Poison of a snake is in their tongue. And there are many who will attack you as a Christian with the poison of a snake. And they will give it to you to drink. And you're going to hear it over and over and over again. Brother Andrew did. Jesus did. And so did all the apostles. And everyone who will live in godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. But it won't kill you. It will not hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Do you notice the ministry? The power of the ministry is that though all of these attacks are coming, they're not taken up with the attacks. What are they busy doing? Praying for others. Ministering to others. That's what you're occupied. It's a life-giving proof. And thirdly, and I'll wrap this up. It's a living hope. There is a future. I love the word in Proverbs. In Proverbs chapter 23, verse 18, I think it is. Proverbs verse 23, not Proverbs 18, Proverbs 23. Do not let your heart envy sinners, but live in the fear of the Lord always. Surely there is a future and your hope will not be cut off. 1 Corinthians 15, if in this life only we have hope, we're of all men most to be but now Christ is risen from the dead I have a living hope there's a future and we our future is not cut off it's a living future Jesus said in John 14 I go to prepare a place for you and if I go to prepare a place for you I will come again and bring you to myself that where I am there you may be also the living hope, the living future that is spoken to us 
through his living word is the spiritual energy and focus of our mission. It's what we're living for. It's the spiritual energy and focus of our mission. Paul said, I'm fixing my eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of my faith. He continually set his affection on things above and not on things on the earth. And your life will be hid with Christ in God, Colossians chapter 3. And so I just want to share these with you. You can do a deep Bible study on all this. I could be here, I could give you this teaching all week long if you want to come back and just sit here for a while. I'll, I'll just unpack all of this here for you and take you through the whole Bible. But I'd rather you do it yourself throughout the rest of your life and make this your day if you haven't yet. Or maybe you just need to renew this. Where you leave this place and say yes. The first step of faith is just to say, yes, Lord. Here am I. Send me. God bless you. Amen. You know... uh... For Peter, in about 50 days or so, about 50 days' time, he went from a cussing fisherman who denied Jesus to a preacher whose message led to 3,000 souls being baptized into the church in less than two months. That's the power of the gospel. And that can be the same in each one of our lives, that the outworking of it or what God calls us to might be a little different. He might not call you to lead a 3,000-person revival, but he can lead you to make that dramatic of a change in your life as well, because that power is available. It's been proven. Thank you, Phil, for sharing. Thank you, each one of you, for being here. That'll conclude this part of our service. I believe lunch is about ready, so please stay and enjoy that and uh, enjoy the continued time of fellowship. Those who are able to, let's stand and we'll have a closing prayer. Carrie, do you want to lead us in a closing prayer, blessing on the meal? Heavenly Father, thank you so much that we can gather and to hear your word, and Lord, also to be challenged in the way of growing more in you and to know the gospel of Jesus Christ and how it works in our life, and Lord, that we would have a desire to share that with others, have a desire to to see others come to you, and if we truly experience the peace and the love and the grace that you show us each day in our lives, how much more we want to see that in others also. Lord, just be with us each and every one of us as we go our ways this week. And Lord, I just pray that you would bring those to our doors or into our places of work or wherever we may be, Lord, that we would be able to be a witness and a testimony for you through our words and through our actions as we go throughout this week. Thank you for this food, Lord, and I pray that you would bless to our bodies and our fellowship this afternoon. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You're dismissed.